0: JP Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. Copyright 2024, JPMorgan Chase & Company. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. It all started with two federal agents who heard a rumor. She mentioned, well, there is this alleged murder to have taken place. There was just one problem. They had no clue who the victim was. We have to do our job, and we have to find out, who did they kill? It had been 15 years since this alleged murder. Was it still possible to unearth the truth?
1: I used to watch um the unsolved mystery shows and I often thought about calling because I was like this is is not right how can a person get killed and no one knows anything
0: I'm Jake Halpern and this is Deep Cover The Nameless Man listen wherever you get your podcasts and if you want to hear the entire season right now ad free subscribe to Pushkin Plus on our Apple Podcast show page or on pushkin.fm plus.
1: Pushkin. Hello there, Pushkin listeners. This is Malcolm Gladwell. I'm the president of Pushkin Industries and host of Revisionist History, but I'm here today as an author. I've written half a dozen books, Such as Outliers and Blink. But my new book, The Bomber Mafia, is something different. First, it's a work of history, telling the story of how a new technology, air power, upended the nature of modern warfare during the Second World War. It's also the first book I wrote to be heard rather than read. You can get the print version of The Bomber Mafia wherever you usually get your books, and I love my readers, but I urge you to listen. The Bomber Mafia is not your typical audiobook. I didn't record it in a booth, solitary and pedantic. I worked with a whole team of sound engineers, researchers, editors, musicians, wizards of every kind. They were building the mightiest aircraft in history. I mean, would you rather I just read some torpid, rudderly nonsense like the B-29 bomber droned on through the night sky? Or would you rather hear it for yourself. And the assembled
0: airmen will listen to words that a few years ago would have been fantastic, but today roll casually off a briefing officer's lips. The target, gentlemen, is Japan.
1: When I was researching, I went to Maxwell Air Force Base to dig through a mountain of tapes, interviews with some of the most important military figures of the Second World War, These were the voices of people I'd only ever read about in history books. Suddenly, they all came alive inside my head. It was magical, and it reminded me why I do what I do. We've devised an easy way for you to listen to the Bomber Mafia in the same player you're using to hear this podcast. Go to BomberMafia.com and enter your email and payment method. You'll receive an email shortly after payment, open it, and follow the easy instructions to add the Bomber Mafia to your podcast app. I'm about to play you a piece of the Bomber Mafia audiobook here. I think it'll explain why I wrote it. And I hope you'll hear the magic. As a little boy lying in his bed, my father would hear the planes overhead. On their way in, then in the small hours of the morning heading back to Germany. This was in England, in Kent, a few miles south and east of London. My father was born in 1934, which meant he was five when the Second World War broke out. Kent was called Bomb Alley by the British, because it was the English county that German warplanes would fly over on their way to London. It was not uncommon in those years that if a bomber missed its target or had bombs left over, it would simply drop them anywhere on the return trip. One day, a stray bomb landed in my grandparents' back garden. It didn't explode, it just sat there, half buried in the ground. And I think it's fair to say that if you were a five year old boy with an interest in things mechanical, a German bomb sitting unexploded in your backyard would have been just about the most extraordinary experience imaginable. Not that my father described it that way. My dad was a mathematician and an Englishman, which is to say that the language of emotion was not his first language. Rather, it was like Latin or French, something which one could study and understand, but never fully master. No that an unexploded German bomb in your backyard would be the most extraordinary experience imaginable for a five-year-old was my interpretation when my father told me that story of the bomb when I was five years old. That was in the late 1960s. We were living in England then, in Southampton. Reminders of what the country had gone through were still everywhere. If you went to London, you could still tell where the bombs had landed, wherever a hideous, brutalist building had sprouted up on some centuries-old block. Here they come, they come, in absolute steep dive, and you can see their bombs actually leave the machines and come into the water. You can hear our own guns going like anything now. BBC Radio was always on in our house, and in those days, it seemed like every second interview was with an old general, a power trooper, a prisoner of war.
0: We shall prove ourselves once again able... We our island home, we ride out in a of
1: war. The first short story I wrote as a kid was about how Hitler was actually still alive and coming for England again. I sent it to my grandmother, the one in Kent who'd had the unexploded bomb in the back garden. When my mother heard about my story, she admonished me. Someone who lived through the war might not enjoy a plot line about Hitler's return she reminded me. My father once took me and my brothers to a beach overlooking the English Channel. We crawled together through the remnants of an old World War II fortification. I still remember the thrill of wondering if we would come across some old bullets or a shell casing or even the skeleton of some long-lost German spy who'd washed up on shore. I don't think we lose our childhood fascinations. I know I didn't. One day, a few years back, I was looking at my bookshelves and realized, to my surprise, just how many non-fiction books about war I had accumulated. The big history bestsellers, but also the specialty histories. Out-of-print memoirs, academic texts, And what part of the war were most of these books about? Bombing. Air Power by Stephen Budiansky. Rhetoric and Reality in Air Warfare by Tammy Biddle. Decision over Schweinfurt by Thomas Coffey. Whole shelves of these histories. Usually, when I start accumulating books like that, it's because I want to write something about the subject. I have shelves of books on social psychology because I've made my living writing about social psychology. But I never really wrote much about war, especially not the Second World War, or more specifically, air power. Just bits and pieces here and there. Why? I don't know. I imagine that a Freudian would have fun with that question. But maybe the simpler answer is that the more a subject matters to you, the harder it is to find a story you want to tell about it. The bar is higher. Which brings us to the Bomber Mafia, the audiobook. You are listening to now i'm happy to say that with the bomber mafia i've found a story worthy of my obsession one last thing about the use of that last word obsession this book is a service to my obsessions but it's also a story about other people's obsessions about one of the grandest obsessions of the 20th century I realize when I look at the things I've written about or explored over the years that I'm drawn again and again to obsessives. I like them. I like the idea that someone could push away all the concerns and details that make up everyday life and just zero in on one thing, the thing that fits the contours of their imagination. Obsessives lead us astray sometimes, lack the bigger picture, serve not just the world's but their own narrow interests. But, I also don't think we get progress, or innovation, or joy, or beauty without obsessives. When I was reporting this book, I had dinner with the then Chief of Staff of the U.S. Air Force, David Goldfein. It was at the Air House, on the grounds of Fort Myer in Northern Virginia, just across the Potomac River from Washington, D.C., a grand Victorian, on a street of Grand Victorians, where many of the country's top military brass all live. After dinner, General Goldfein invited over a group of his friends and colleagues, other senior Air Force officials. We sat in the general's backyard, five of us in total. They were almost all former military pilots. Many of their fathers had been military pilots. They were the modern-day equivalents of the people you're going to hear about in this book. And as the evening wore on, I began to notice something. Airhouse is just down the road from Reagan National Airport, and every ten minutes or so, a plane would take off just over our heads. Nothing fancy. Just standard, commercial passenger planes flying to Chicago or Tampa or Charlotte. And every time one of those planes flew overhead, the general and his comrades would all glance upwards just to take a look. They couldn't help themselves. Obsessives. My kind of people. Thanks for listening to that excerpt from my new book. Discover the rest of the story of the Bomber Mafia, available at bombermafia.com. The tradition of breaking tradition continues
0: Tim Horton's new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just 5 dollars Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price of participation vary. Terms apply. It all started with two federal agents who heard a rumor. She mentions, well, there is this alleged murder to have taken place. There was just one problem. They had no clue who the victim was. We have to do our job. And we have to find out. Who did they kill? It had been 15 years since this alleged murder. Was it still possible to unearth the truth? I used to watch um, the Unsolved Mystery shows, and I often thought about calling
1: because I was like, "This this is not right. How can a person get killed and no one knows anything? I'm
0: Jake Calpern, and this is Deep Cover The Nameless Man. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, and if you want to hear the entire season right now, ad-free, subscribe to Pushkin Plus on our Apple Podcast show page or on pushkin.fm slash plus.